if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to skip over to Philippians just a few pages over in just a few minutes, but I wanted to start here. Um, so if you want to, while you're turning there, anytime we make a decision um, to follow Jesus, uh, when that's um, something that's in our heart to commit to in whatever stage that happens for us, at whatever time, whatever age, uh, when we make a decision to follow and pursue Christ, there is a commitment with that to a process. And, and that process uh, lasts our entire life here on earth. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really end. It never stops. It's a process that we're involved in until we go home to be with Jesus. And so uh, that process is, uh, I mean, if you kind of use biblical terms, we can call it sanctification it's a process of transformation, as Romans 12 talks about. Uh, but in other words, it, it's a process that we're engaged in, in really truly becoming holy who we truly are. Uh, it is not becoming something we're not. In fact, it's, it's shaking off what we're not. Uh, it is becoming our authentic, real, true selves, and that's a work uh, of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of Christ within us, and and. That process, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're, we're engaged in it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, uh, the story, kind of the allegory that Jesus shares with his disciples about the vine and the branches. And uh, there is a conversation within that story about pruning. And uh, for us to bear much fruit, there's some pruning that goes on. Uh, it's all part of it. And it's us becoming fully and holy who we truly are. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing, uh, and it's often challenging and uncomfortable, and, and, uh, but it's, 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 it's what we're created to go through as believers. And so I think we, we can acknowledge that, and we, we're, we're cool with that, but there is something that we don't necessarily consider, and that's the methodology in which Christ chooses to use to do that within us. Uh, the process of becoming who it is that we're, we're created to be, our true selves, the process of sanctification, transformation, all that, uh, the way that God chooses to do that is oftentimes through uh, a connection with the family of faith in community. Uh, again, the vine and the branches. To, to be an individualist is to be a stick, uh, unfruitful and unproductive. Uh, but to, to really go through the, play, the, the process of bearing much fruit and being productive and, and becoming who we are meant to be is uh, abiding in the vine together. He is the vine. We are the branches. And so God uses uh, the community of faith, the family of faith, to do that work. Uh, and I want to show you this. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read uh, just a couple verses here. This is verses 15 and 16. This kind of gives you a good, clear idea of what I'm talking about here. And it says this, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped. Uh, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, we're he is the head. We are the body. We're growing. We're becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Uh, that's the process. We're reflecting Jesus more and more. I decrease, he increases. Uh, less of me, more of him. 
And that process is we're all connected as the body of Christ. And then it talks about here, uh, Paul talks about here to the church in Ephesus about how we, our connections within that body, we are actually contributing to each other's growth. And, and the holistic point of view is that the whole body is building itself up in love. And love is the point. God is love. Love is the point. Love is the, love is the, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love is the mission. Love is the goal. Uh, and, and in fact, we spent a couple weeks talking about the last evening that Jesus spends on earth with his family, with his community. And, uh, and he, uh, he declares and reiterates and ex- it gives examples of the great command, the new command, uh, the, the new command that we're supposed to carry. This is, the, this is the goal. This is the checklist. This is what we're... If, if you've ever wondered, why am I here? Why am I here? What, is, what am I supposed to be doing? The new command, which is to love others as Christ loves us. And the way that we learn how to do that, the way that we learn practically how to live out the new command the, the best way possible is in the classroom of the body of Christ. It's in the family of faith, where we learn how to do this. This is where we learn from each other, but we also practice within this community. Uh, this is the way that God set it up to learn. This is, this is the school in which we learn how to live out the new command. And so what that means is, if, if you have any value, uh, if you place any value, any, any significance on being proficient, uh, getting better, at, our, at your ability to live out the new command, love others as Christ loves you, then you will put priority on engaging and committing to community. But, the reverse is true. If, if we put no uh, emphasis on learning how to love others as Christ loves us, if, if, we, if that is low on the priority list, if it's just not interesting to us, if we've got kind of our own thing to do, uh, I got a lot going on. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really interested in learning the new command, practicing the new command. Then uh, the family of faith community will not be a priority for you. It just won't. Those two things are synonymous. They're tied together. They're intrinsically linked, uh, and that's the priority. And and it's a demonstration of the priority. It it shows the priority. And so um, we, the the amazing thing about the Bible and the New Testament is that we get. Uh, some sneak peeks, kind of behind the scenes, uh, communities like ours learning how to do this, how to love, how to, how to love others as Christ loves us. And, and, uh, and we get to learn and glean from what uh, they're going through and what they're experiencing. And it's relatable and it's tangible and it's experiential for us. And last week we talked about one of those instances in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, where it, it is a community that, uh, in Corinth this learning, like us, from another community that's actually really uh, living out this new command, uh, loving each other as Christ loves us. And so we get to see another uh, picture of that today. I want to turn over, if you've got your Bible, to Philippians chapter 2, just a couple pages over. And uh, I just want to read a few verses here, and, uh, and then we're going to spend today just kind of talking about this, uh, learning from it. And uh, it's going to be good. So uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we'll start around verse 1 and go to verse 13. So it, it says this. 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and underneath earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We'll end there. Um, there is the lead-in statement. It's, it's just an interesting kind of way to state this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy. It, it's like this weird kind of conditional, If it, guys, if... If this stuff's going on, then certainly uh, carry out what I'm about to talk about. Uh, prioritize the things I'm about to say. So you're left asking the question, and I think this is the purpose of this phrasing. It's like, I have to ask the question. I have to really consider, is, is there any uh, encouragement in Christ? Well, yeah. In fact, I would say all the encouragement that we really need we find in Christ. And, and then the question, is there any comfort from his love for us? So it's almost like it, it's really a deep consideration. Like I've got to do some personal inventory to say, is God faithful? Is, is God consistent? Is, is God, does God love me where I'm at? Is God present? Is God involved in my world? And so if, if, if we really read this correctly... Um, since we have all the courage, encouragement that we need in Christ, since we can take all comfort in the love of Christ, since the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us, since He has so much affection and sympathy for us in every single moment, then we, we are empowered to prefer other people. We are uh, now allowed by the fact that all our needs are met by Christ, we are allowed to then turn around and, and focus on other people. That's the, that's the seamless transition that he's getting to, is, is, guys, if we really want to prefer other people, if we, really can, if we really in our hearts want to put other people first, then we have to consider this. Where are our needs being met? Now, I, we typically view relationships as being quite transactional. And, and with that is a little bit of conditionality, right? So if, if a relationship is mutually beneficial, then we are all in and we are cool with that. 
But when the well dries up on one side, the relationship starts to crumble. So there, there is always going to be a, a level of conditionality with relationships. There just is. That's the human condition. Uh, what, what we have to realize, first and foremost, before we get anywhere else, this is the first, the first thing to consider. The one-way love from heaven that is completely one-sided, that is overwhelmingly one-sided, that uh, Christ gives everything. Christ gives everything. And what can we possibly give in return? Religion tries to answer that question. Uh, David once asked, uh, what could I possibly do to repay the Lord for all his goodness towards me? And then he answers his own question. I will take the cup of my salvation. How can I repay Jesus? Not by giving him anything, but by taking more from him. It is always one-sided. His love is one way. Religion believes in its heart that this is reciprocal. Uh, that, that God gave everything, and then we pay God back. That we, we actually, with our lives, with our obedience, with what we do, this is a repayment system. Like, like our salvation is on loan, and then we make payments with interest with living out that salvation. That your salvation, my salvation, has nothing to do with me. Nothing. I contributed, the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That's it. That's all I brought to the table. All fall short, all miss the mark. Thank God for Jesus, right? And so uh, this, this, the question, what can I do to repay, is not, it, it, you can't answer that. Nothing. I can't do anything. So the first thing that we have to consider in this conversation is the one-way nature of the love of Christ. And, and I know, before we even get into the conversation of putting other people before ourselves, which is impossible, really, before I even get to the notion of doing that, before I can consider putting other people first, I have to address the fact that I don't want to be put last. I don't want to be, I don't want to be off the priority list. And I think that's a lot of fear. I, I, Sonia and I, my wife and I, we've done a lot of marital counseling over the last 20 years. Uh, premarital, uh, postmarital, whatever you call it. Uh, all during the whole, every, everything that you can imagine. And, and we, would, we have a lot of conversations that look a lot like this. At some point, one or both parties, uh, if there's problems in the relationship, normally one or both parties has prioritized self over the other and basically gone into business for themselves. And that's you, nine times out of ten, that's the breakdown, is one or both parties has gone into business for themselves. The priority is on me, and then we start seeing some breakdown. The fear of extending beyond self and saying, I, I'm just going to trust that God's got me and then prefer the other person. There is such fear in that because what if they don't reciprocate? What if they don't prioritize me? I don't want to give 100 if they're not going to give anything back. And that exposes something that we're all inclined to. And that is making other people our source. 
we, we are inclined to make other human beings our source. And so when we do that, then yes, it matters greatly. If we don't get from them, how can we give back? But if we go back to the vine and the branches analogy that Christ himself gives, who's the source in that? He is. He, he makes it very clear. I'm the vine, right? I'm the vine, which means I'm your source of life. I am, I'm where it's at. I give you all that you need. You are the branches. See, what, what we believe, and this is something that is, I've, I've, again, realized more and more practically in my own life, is that we, we honestly believe that we are supposed to trust people and love God. Like, that is the call of a Christian. Trust people and then love God. And that is completely backwards. What we're called to do is love God, or trust God, and love people. The Bible says this is love. Not that you love God, but He loves you. Trust that love, now love other people. Now, this love that we're supposed to love other people with is the love of God, right? We only love because He first loved us. And so we're just vessels that are carrying the love of Christ to other people. We only love because we're first loved. And so the more we realize we're loved, the more love we have to give. First Thess- Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 says that may the master pour so much love on you that it splashes on those around you. So we trust him. He is our source. He is our love. That love is unconditional. Meaning God does not withhold it because we are sinful. God doesn't withhold it because we have bad attitudes. Thank God. God doesn't withhold His love because we are not as good as we should be. God's love is indiscriminate, it is unconditional, and it's free-flowing. It is for everyone. The only conditionality is to receive it. To, to open your arms to receive it. That's it. It's not that you've got to perform for it or earn it. You can't. So, that love, which is indiscriminate, unconditional from God, for whatever reason, goes through this kind of transformation within us a lot of times. So now, love becomes conditional within us. So now we're discriminate of who deserves to receive love. God's heart is to love everyone. And anything that gets in the way of that is not God. I I, I love this quote. I've used it for years. Any theology that doesn't cause you to love others more is wrong. And and we've let the world tell us what to think and how to believe and how to act. And it's the tail is wagging the dog. Here is Paul talking to this church in Philippi. And and this this is part of Macedonia. This is the conversation we had last week about this is the this is community the lights are coming on and jesus is doing a beautiful work within their hearts and he's telling them guys because jesus loves you so much you're free to love others and put them before yourself and you'll only truly do that if you feel like you are first taken care of how can i put other people first and then take the last place in in that in that line well, I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you how. Because Christ took that place. He puts us first. 
he took the last place in line. It goes on to say this. This is so beautiful. Let me find my notes here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself, uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, he put you first to the degree that he was willing to die a sinner's death. He was was willing to take public execution and total humiliation. God incarnate, God with skin on, chose to become a lowly servant. And that's the priority that you hold in his heart because he did that directly because of his love for you. So how could we possibly put other people before ourselves? Because Jesus did that for us. When you realize that opening statement, if there's any love, if there's any consideration, if there's any sympathy, because God has given us freely everything, all the encouragement, all the love and compassion that we could ever hope for, because God prefers us and puts us first and has given us everything and is everything we need, now we are free to love other people freely. Because they're not our source. When you look at your spouse as your source, you complete me. You're asking your spouse to be Jesus. And it is unfair. And it's a recipe for disappointment, and it's not right. But what happens if you look to Jesus to be your source, and you say, I have, I'm, I have no th- nothing outstanding here. I have everything I need in Christ. My tank is full. Now you're not looking for other people to complete you. Now you're not asking the world to fulfill you. Let me tell you what trying to fix and change people is all about. You feel like, if I could just fix and change this person and make them better and think differently and vote differently and act differently, if I could just change their mind, then I would feel complete in myself. It's not for them, it's for you. We try to fix and change people because it makes us feel better. Not because it's better for them. It's because their nonsense is making us uncomfortable. So in order to complete ourselves, now it's not just about fixing and changing ourselves, it's about fixing and changing the people around us. That's because you're looking to other people to be your source. What happens if you look to Christ and say, I have everything I need in you? You, you have given me all things that I need. Now, I am free not to look at other people as uh, means by which I complete myself, but recipients of a one-way love that God has freely given me. So now that we've established that, let's get into what's really being asked of us here. To prefer other people. To get outside of oneself, to think about and put as much energy in other humans as we do ourselves. To put other people first. The Bible says do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, which is pride. Do nothing out of selfishness. I don't feel like it. It's not really convenient for me. Someone's in need. Someone needs help. Uh, for, for, uh, there's no greater love than to lay down one Saturday to help a friend move. 
Uh, I want to commend a good friend of mine, Josh Scott, who's here in the back. Josh is also recently married. Give him big congratulations. I like bragging about my friends. Uh, Josh showed up at our church uh, one year in. So he's been here uh, nine plus years. And, uh, and Josh was immediately willing to do anything and everything for the people around him. And Josh, uh, Josh has helped everybody in this room move twice. And continues to. And so I, I can always count on if, if I'm in a place where I need to help someone move, I know Josh is going to make a way to be there. And so thank you, Josh. You're, you're awesome. But that is, that, that is not because he gets out of, something out of it. It's not because you give him Little Caesar's cheap, stale pizza. We can do better, church. Come on. Yeah. Everybody's like, hey, we'll get pizza. I'm like, that's not, that's, that's not incentive. Let's call in some, some better stuff than that. But uh, no, it's, it's because it's love. It's love and consideration of other people. And, and honestly, if, if we're not in a place where we feel completely, fully take, cared for by God, then we're not going to take our time because we're too busy trying to care for ourselves. I, that term self-care has come up a lot. And I, I buy some of that. You know, you gotta, you got to be careful with you. You're the only you you got. So I think taking time for yourself is great. But I think there is a point where that becomes just being, instead of self-care, it's just straight up selfish, right? You don't self-care 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's like, at some point, we've got to consider some other humans. The, who is Jesus? A person who is willing to put aside godness in all deservedness and demanding that every person that he comes in contact with hits their knees in total worship and adoration, and he gets down and he wash, washes people's feet. And he takes time with people that he disagrees with fundamentally. The biggest criticism of Jesus was who he, hang, who he hung out with. God, you're eating with the worst human beings. It's like America's most wanted, or Israel's most wanted. What are you doing? It's like, I, I didn't come to, to ser- be served, but to serve. I came here to... Spend time with broken people and love them. Sit in Pharisees' homes and have dinner. To love everyone indiscriminately. That's who he is. And because that's who he is, that's who we're becoming. And the school of learning how to do that is the family of faith. He's teaching us how to do that. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I, I kind of want to wrap up here, but uh, this is the part that... that really stood out to me this week considering this verse and this statement. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I, I want to take the last few minutes that we have together and, and, and consider that statement. It, God does something where it is to work within us. It is his heart to work within us. He does the work. We don't do the work uh, we don't even do the work for each other. We are just, again, we're branches. Christ does the work in and through us, but he is doing the work. And so he does the work to both will and to work in order for him to be pleased with our lives. Now, there, there is a, a natural inclination to put conditionality on God's pleasure with us. It is, this is, that's not up for grabs. This is just the will of God, and He is pleased as we function in Him, 
right? So it's not that He's going to love you more if you do this. But because He loves us, He does this. And what He does is He works within us to both will and to work for His good pleasure. I, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about what that means. Because it's very, very important. To, to work. To, for God to do a work within us to cause us to work. We know what that is. Good works. To, to love and to serve and to prefer other people. To, to see other people. To, to notice them. To, to notice where they're at. To notice what's going on. To, to be present. To, to give ourselves. To lean into, first and foremost, the family of faith. The needs of, a, of this family. And then beyond that, to, to put together stockings for senior citizens in our community that have need. That, that is a good work that God propels us, compels us to do. God puts that desire to do good works within us. And here's the interesting part. Before he even says to, to do the good works, he says this. God causes the will to happen. God works within us to will and to do the good works. You know what that word will means? To want to. To desire to. God creates within us a want to. Now, the want to is one of the most powerful things that we never talk about in church. We talk about the have to. We talk about the you should, you ought. We talk about that incessantly in church. We're good at that. And and people love that. That sells. We do it because it works. I've heard it said many, many times, if you want want to pack the seats, then do not bring the gospel into it at all. But if you want to thin the herd, if you want to keep that that back door open, then you you preach the gospel. Paul himself said, he said, if I wanted a good reputation, I certainly wouldn't preach the gospel. But we're all about the gospel here at Family Church. Can I get an amen right there? That's the only thing you're going to hear here. It's Christ and Him crucified. That's it. That's all I got. One message preached a thousand different ways, but it's still, it's Jesus. Not, not you, not me. I'm not the hope, you're not the hope, we're not the hope. Jesus is the hope. So the, the focus is always on Christ. Now we talk about the do's and the don'ts, and that you have to, and the shoulds and yawns. But what we don't talk about is the, the will and the desire, the, the want to. The, the, the desire within us that propels us. Now listen. It, we, we do, ultimately, we gravitate towards what we want to. God will change our want-tos. He, he not only compels us to do things, but He changes what we want to do. In other words, He takes our priority lists and He mixes it up. So suddenly there's a desire. And all of this comes from a place of focusing on Jesus and His love in his consideration for us. In other words, the gospel fuels this. What fuels good works? The gospel. What fuels the desire to do good works? The gospel. A focus on how unselfish and giving and sacrificial Jesus is towards you. Look what the Lord has done. I think that needs to become a greater part of our vocabulary around here in our lives and our worlds. Look what the Lord has done. Can you believe how much he loves me? This is, this is a transformation that happens on the inside of us. The desire to do great things for great people. 
the desire to live beyond ourselves. And to go back to the statement, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, that motivation is something else. There's a different motivation that Christ brings in as we focus on his goodness, his love for us, that is a want to live beyond ourselves. The transformation of Christ inside out always moves us beyond ourselves. We are learning how to love. We're learning how to be what we're called and created to be. We're learning how to do this. We're all new at this. No one's a pro. There's no aspirational figure in a, in a, in a J.C. Penney suit with well-coiffed hair standing before you saying, aspire to be like me. I, I'm, in the, I'm in the mix with you. Uh, we're in this together. There's no elevated hierarchical system here. We are the body of Christ. We're the family of faith. And we are in this learning how to do this together. Grace is new to all of us. And whether you've been focusing on grace for 10 years, 20 years, or 5 minutes, it's all new to us. And it's never, ever, ever going to jive with the way the world does business. So it's always going to be a little otherworldly and unusual to us. To love others and prefer other people before ourselves is not a natural move to do. It's not a human, it's a natural, it's not a natural human thought. But let me say this. As we live in this together, as we focus on Christ together, every joint begins to supply and we begin to inspire, encourage, and teach each other how to do this the way that God's called us to do this. And suddenly, our families are enriched by this revelation. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm an event space manager. And in every one of those components, every one of those hats that are part of who I am and what I do, all of those things are enriched by me focusing on how much God unfairly loves me and how I'm free to love others because I don't need anything from them. That want to starts to well up. My encouragement is this. Stay connected in the vine. Uh, stay engaged where we learn this. Uh, let the hunger of being in the classroom where God teaches us how to live out the new command, may that hunger well up inside of us and, and become a consuming aspect of our life. That we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God to move in our midst, in our hearts, and to teach us how to be who we're called to be.